I can somehow remember everyone's birthday. I can barely remember our children's birthdays, and she can remember the whole church's birthdays. Um, all right. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 5. Uh, let me find a Bible here. Um, and we will jump into a, 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 a passage of Scripture that some of you may have read before. Um, but, yeah, it is uh, about being the salt of the earth. Um, Matthew 5. Um, what, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Behind the scenes, look at the, uh, the titles of sermons. We don't know what to do with that. I'm just always trying to make somebody laugh with the title of the sermon. That's really the goal. Uh, so thank you for laughing at the title of the sermon. Um, okay. I was like, did I do something weird up here? Why are you laughing at me? This is a fun text. Um, I need to be honest and say that as preachers, we get the text every week. Uh, we have four texts to choose from, and sometimes, to be honest, we don't instantly get excited about it. Um, sometimes it takes a minute or so, but I love this section of the Bible. Uh, last week, Pastor Mac talked about the Beatitudes, um, and this is in the middle of kind of the, the bigger section called the Sermon on the Mount, and I particularly love this little short section. Because in essence, what we're going to talk about today is how are we supposed to live as Christians? Now, Jesus won't tell you, I won't tell you, the answer to every single question in your life. I, we, we will not be done with this passage and you'll know, you know, should I date this guy or this girl? You won't know, should I quit my job to take this other one? You may not hear, you know, the, the direction on what car to buy or should I rent this apartment or what daycare should I choose for my daughter? But I do pray that you have a better understanding of how we are called as Christians to live. So let me read the text here, and then we will dive into it. You are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's actually where we're going to stop. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the Bible. We're so thankful that though it was written so long ago, it is so relevant to us today. It's so good for us to read. It's such, filled with such beautiful reminders of things that are true, new things that we are learning, and ways that through the Holy Spirit we are convicted of sin and put on a path of how we are called to live, how we're invited to live. Father, I pray that you would be with us today, and may the words that are, are preached from behind this pulpit, may they be from you. And if they're not from you, may they fall on deaf ears. Father, may you stir in us affections for you. May we not just leave with a taskless of what to do, but we leave with a deeper and deeper understanding, as Jason talked about, of how much you love us. Father, bless this church as we seek to be the hands and feet of Christ to each other and to the world around us. Inspire us. Lead us to sacrifice well, to love well. And Father, I pray that you would be with those who are hurting in our midst through the ups and downs of life, relationally, 
financially, physically. Father, may your kingdom come. And may we as a church body make their lives a little bit easier by caring for them well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the main idea of what we're going to talk about is, yes, you're invited to be a little saltier, but the main idea is that Jesus is inviting us to live our best life, and that best life is a life that blesses those around us. And I want you to hear and feel as I talk about today that the posture for the message is that Jesus is inviting you. He is with a smile on his face inviting you into a life that blesses other people. And yes, there are commands of Scripture. And we are not a church that, you know, brushes those commands under the rug because they can make us uncomfortable. And I'm not saying that holiness and loving your neighbor are optional electives in the kingdom of God. But I am saying and I'm reminding you that every command is an invitation towards your best possible life. So this morning we're going to talk about salt. And every once in a while we try to sprinkle in some sign language. And this is salt. So do this with me. And hopefully some of you guys got that pun. Oh, dang it. Oh, sorry. Yes, thanks. You you corrected me like three times earlier too. Uh, But hopefully some of you got the pun. They were sprinkling in a few sign language. Thank you. Thank you. But salt, and I want you to understand, I went down a deep hole with this. You can go to the next slide. There's a lot of uses for salt. First of all, it can soothe a bee sting. Didn't know this. Second, it can eliminate a grease fire. You've got to have a lot of it, I guess, for that, but it can eliminate a grease fire. Third, it can kill poison ivy if that is an issue around your home. Found this one particularly interesting. If an egg cracks on the ground, Always super annoying to try to try to to, uh, to wipe that up. You wipe it; it just spreads everywhere. You dump salt on it; it kind of congeals. I think I'm saying that word right. And then you swipe it up in one fell swoop. Yes, uh, I was surprised as well. Also, salt licks. I had no idea what this was until about Wednesday of this week. A salt. So you from the Midwest are like, we know what a salt lick is. Uh, these are deposits of mineral salts used by animals to supplement their nutrition, ensuring enough minerals in their diets. Apparently, entire towns have been formed around salt licks. And so this is, you know, I think you buy that salt lick. Uh, I don't know exactly how this works, but that is what that is. And so all fun facts about salt. Um, but Jesus, you know, just to be clear here, probably wasn't asking us to connect the dots on like how salt can kill poison ivy and what's the poison ivy in your life. Um, But what we can do and what we should always do when reading the Bible is to not just look at what this metaphor might mean for us in 2023, but we try to go back to that original audience and what was trying to be communicated 2,000 years ago. And so historically, this is something that, you know, is very uh, fascinating with a passage like this. Historically, salt was even more important in Jesus' time than our time today. Salt has the ability to preserve food, and this one trait of this mineral, of salt, was literally a, a foundation of civilization for so long. It would be hard to overstate how important salt was to the well-being of a local society. It meant that people, because of salt, were no longer dependent upon the availability of seasonal food. 
It also meant that food could be carried over long distances. You take a piece of meat, cover it in salt, it preserves it, and so you can carry it over long distances. So it was used to preserve or store food. And it was and still is a desirable seasoning for food, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But it was also extremely, and for some societies, some parts of the world, difficult to obtain this very, very necessary mineral. So it was a highly prized commodity. So much so that controlling the salt supplies where it came from could mean success or failure of an entire community. For most, it was an extremely valuable source of income. Cities along a salt distribution route charged substantial taxes for allowing that salt to pass through. The salt would be mined from a particular location, and then the route to get, to get it to the people was so important that people charged tolls just to bring salt from one place to another. In, entire cities that are still cities today were founded around where the salt came from. And I promise it's not going to be a whole history lesson on salt. I, I could go on for a long time. It's a deep dive this week. But in fact, this is the last thing I'll say. If you've ever been to Germany, the city of Munich, Germany was founded because of salt. In the year 1156, the Duke of Bavaria, a guy named Henry the Lion, which we miss, I mean, we're done with having kids, but that would have been amazing. <laughs> Henry the Lion decided the bishops of Friesing no longer needed their salt revenue, so he burned down a monk's toll bridge, so maybe not the nicest guy in the world, and then diverted the salt route upriver a few miles where he built his own bridge over the river that led to the establishment of Munich, one of the biggest cities in the world today. This was so important that for a lot of, a lot of soldiers, they were not even paid in money, they were actually paid in salt, which is an aside where we get the word salary from. I promise you, I'm almost done. <laughs> So all that to say, salt is incredibly important. It's important today, but even more important back then. So for Jesus to talk about this, we, we breeze past a passage like this. of like, oh, you're the salt of the earth. Oh, cool. You know, throw a little bit on my, you know, you know uh, green beans to make them taste better and move on to the next passage. But for the people back then, this would, all the light bulbs would have gone off. And the first thing they would have talked about when they read, when they heard this passage was that Jesus was talking about that salt is for, like I said, for preserving. So salt was the ancient equivalent of refrigeration. If you wanted to stop meat or fish from decaying, from going bad, you could rub salt on it and make it edible for longer. This is one of the reasons, like I said, it was so valuable. So what does that mean for us? If he's looking, Jesus is looking at us as disciples of his, as people who have put their faith in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, he's looking at us and saying to us that like salt, we are sent into the world to keep it from decay, preserving its goodness, present, preventing it from becoming corrupted or ruined, which is a helpful thing to bear in mind, not just on a Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday as well. We think about this, and we, the, the verse that came to mind when I think about the idea of protecting and preserving, I thought about Psalm 68.5, which is the passage of remembering who God is, that he's a father to the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy 
habitation. So our call as Christians is to live out who God is to the world around us, being the hands and feet of Christ, a father to the fatherless and protector of widows who were the most, one of the most vulnerable populations of that day. And I think about folks like we just prayed for Betty and her team that are going to do this incredible work and they're going to protect a vulnerable population. And like I said, you may not be called like Betty to go to those places, but we are called to help those folks be sent with our money and with our prayers. When I think about us as a church, this is why we, we keep pestering you with those emails about those Redeemer Kids trainings. It's not just so we can check it off the list. It's because we've looked at the, the, the world and said, who are the most vulnerable in our midst on a Sunday morning? And there are those kiddos. And so say, we say, how do we live out our calling to preserve and to protect? Is so we, 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 how do we do that? We do that through being trained well. And the beauty of this is we see a passage like this and it says you are the salt of the earth and we're called to not just be salt to the Christians, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're, we're called to have eyes to see who are the vulnerable in our midst. Who are the vulnerable in our cities? Who are the vulnerable at your workplace? And we're called to move that direction. The second thing that they would have said back then is that salt, yes, it is for preserving, but it's also for flavoring. Salt for flavoring. This is a simple one. Salt's on every restaurant table in the entire country, but what does it do? It enhances the food. But what's fascinating about salt is that if you go to a restaurant and, you know, say you get done with the meal and you run into a friend and they say, oh, how was, how was the steak at, you know, wherever it was? Or how was the fish at some fancy restaurant? I promise you, you will not say, oh, it was good. And I cannot wait to tell you how good their salt was. Best salt I've ever had. I cannot talk, stop talking about the salt at this restaurant. Now, the beauty of salt is it plays this incredibly important role in seasoning our food, but it never gets the spotlight. You might know when it's not there, but you never will talk about how good the salt was that you had on your dinner. And for us, this is both a, an invitation to be that seasoning, but it's also a reminder that we cannot make this about ourselves. And so often we err one way or another in not following this commandment. One is that we, we create a life that's centered upon our own happiness and kind of going back to the main idea here that Jesus is inviting us to live our best life, a life that blesses the people around us. We can err, we can not follow God by saying, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to try to figure out how can I have the best, most enjoyable life for me and myself and me only. And that's you know, obviously a way to err. But we also can err by thinking that our role to be salt, to be seasoning, always has to be this incredibly extravagant adventure. And so often we do this at the expense of the roles that God has called us to our lives, the simple ways God has called us to be salt. My family and I watched a movie a few weeks ago called Blue Miracle. Has anybody seen Blue Miracle? I think it's on Netflix or something. Yes. 
And we watched it. It's about an orphanage in Mexico that's struggling financially, and somehow they enter, enter into a big, this is not going to win any Academy Awards, so don't take this as like a, like, you know, this is, this is going to be on the award show in a month or so. Enter into a big tournament, and they get paired with this kind of crusty old fisherman. So this orphanage struggling financially. They get wind of some big fishing tournament where they, the, the prize is a bunch of money. Somehow they get paired with this crusty old fisherman that needs a local person to be in the, in the contest. And the whole movie is fascinating, and it's based upon a true story, probably kind of loosely, but based upon a true story. And I won't ruin the ending, and the story clearly kind of centers on the story of the, or the, the journey of the orphanage and kind of how uh, they're provided for. Um, but I was, you know, it sounds terrible. I was fascinated by that, but I was much more fascinated by the dude, the old crusty fisherman. So this guy named Wade, there he is, uh, Dennis Quaid. Am I saying that guy's name right? Dennis Quaid. Uh, shout out to the people over 50 in the crowd who knows who that is. Um, but Dennis Quaid, um, and so he is, um, he's kind of a big deal in the world of fishing. Um, he's washed up, as you can see from that picture in that boat a little bit. Uh, another pun, thanks, two for the day, a little washed up, but kind of he was a big deal fisherman back in the day, and he'd won this big contest uh, in back-to-back years, and he's kind of still chasing the glory of winning fishing tournaments. And as the movie goes on, Wade, uh, we find out that Wade has a son and has the, you know, the mother of that son. I don't know their exact relationship anymore, but they live in Dallas. An orphanage is in Mexico and the fishing tournament's in Mexico. His son actually lives in Dallas like a thousand miles away. In essence, as we come to learn, Wade has chosen this adventurous career over being a dad to his teenage boy. And this irony is not lost on the boys in the orphanage. And he, Wade, says something in the midst of trying to explain himself in his situation, family situation, it stuck with me, and this is paraphrased. I just can't remember the exact words, but he said, we, in, in response to why is he not with his son, he says, we are, call, we are all called to do something special. We all have a calling that we were put on the earth to do, and my calling is to be a great fisherman. This was met with some confused befuddled stares by the boys, and sensing their disapproval, Wade goes on to say, one day, my son will be able to tell all his friends that his dad is one of the best fishermen in the world. And I won't spoil it, but in the end, through a series of events, the light bulb finally goes off for our dude Wade, and he realizes that his calling is actually a lot more simple and a lot less grandiose. And he heads back to Dallas in the end. His calling, though not as extravagant as he wanted it to be, was so much bigger in his role to be a dad. And as a church, I want you to hear from me that God has called some of you to do grandiose things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue those. Please go pursue those, and we will support you along the way. Some of you have day jobs that are absolutely incredibly profound and adventurous and and risk-taking, and we are for that. We will be wind in your sails. But you cannot do those things at the expense of the roles God has called you to in in your life. The verse that came to mind for this is 1 Corinthians, probably in your mind as well. 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, 
I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Church, as a community, there are extravagant ways that we are salt and season the world, but there's also a million little ways that God's inviting you to do so. Jason, who who led worship up here today, actually is an accomplished musician as well, and one of his songs that I love the most is a song called Love is a Simple Thing. And if you're looking for some amazing music, free plug here, just look them up on Spotify. It's so good. But the verse two, verses to this song that stuck out as I was thinking about this sermon from the song Love is a Simple Thing, it's, it's talking about the love between a husband and a wife. And he writes and sings, I usually stir before she does. I fix her coffee I usually stir before she does. I fix our coffee and I pour us each a cup. I bring it to her while she's still in bed. And this sounds better when he sings it. (laughs) I bring it to her while she's still in bed. And I do my best to remember how she likes her eggs. Love is as simple as you make it out to be. It looks less like a movie and more like a daily routine. Simple equation, if you both give, you will both receive. Love is a simple, simple thing. Brothers and sisters, this is a lesson that we have learned as even as a church. There's a, a beautiful sermon that Jesse gave uh, sometime last year about how God has called us to do big things, but he's also called you to, to serve a meal to a family that's hurting. He's called you to show up to a birthday party. He's called you to, to lean in to being a better spouse. He's called you to show up to the game when work is running late, but to say no to the boss and can go to your son's baseball game. He's called you to be seasoning in big ways and in small. And the last thing that I see from this passage that they would have gotten that I didn't get at all was that salt is fertilizing. Several Ancient civilizations, and and the people would have known this that heard this, used salt as fertilizer actually for soil, depending on the conditions. It could help the earth retain water, make fields easier to to plow, kind of release minerals to the plants, kill weeds, protect crops from disease, stimulate growth. Apparently it's very important back in the day. And the reason this matters is that Jesus specifically describes people as salt. And this honestly would have been the biggest light bulb that went off for the original audience. And so therefore, if, we, if, if salt was a fertilizer and we are salt, we are called to be that fertilizer. And what does fertilizer do? Fertilizer, fertilizer goes in where conditions are challenging and where conditions are hard. And we as disciples are called to do the same thing. We're called to enrich the soil, kill the weeds, protect against the disease, stimulate growth, and scatter throughout life. As we scatter, life will spring up. And we're called to be that fertilizer. And again, when you eat those carrots, you will not have a clue that they were ever fertilized. And so we don't get credit, but we get to see the fruit 
And as we walk through life, there's another verse here from Isaiah 35 that says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. And that is our call. What we get to do, and we do this as you, I say you, I should say you do this as a church body incredibly well. Where the ground is rough, you do not run away. Just this past week, there was a shooting right on sunset near Boone, and I get alerts um, from Google on anything kind of in our neighborhood, good or bad, that comes through in the news. And so I get this alert, and one of our families at the church lives on that block, and so I texted them just to make sure they were okay. And a kid was shot and killed kind of a couple, uh, probably a block from their house or so. And it was fascinating. They're fine, and their family's fine. But their response to me, and I won't say who it was, I I forgot to ask their permission, but their response to me, initial response, wasn't like, oh, I'm so glad we're okay. Their response to me was, what can we do to help? How can we love this family who's lost their teenage boy? How can we open up the doors of the church? How can we provide them meals? And that is our job. That is where we are fertilizer to a broken world. We don't run away. We run to. Jason, you can come on up. And so you hear these things that we are called to preserve, protect. We're called to season. We're called to fertilize. But I want you to understand that this is incredibly hard to do. And by your own strength, you're going to make it, some of you might make it a week, I'll make it about an hour. But I want you to hear from me that you don't do this in your own strength. The beauty of this is that you do this because of what you already are in Christ. Go back to this passage, the first verse of it. I know we had a lot on that screen. We only got through one verse today, but it says, you are, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is incredibly valuable, but notice he doesn't say, if you protect, if you season, if you follow my commands and you fertilize, then you will become salt in my eyes. No, he says, you already are. So the valuable, how valuable salt is in the world to that day, he's looking at those people, looking at us and saying, you, brothers and sisters, are that valuable. He's reminding us that our value, our worth is not in being good. It's not in following these commandments or even being appreciated for the good things that we do. But you have infinite worth through Christ because you have been loved, you have been forgiven, you've been adopted, and God has looked at you and said, I am willing to die on the cross so that you can have a relationship with me. So as we head towards communion, we will take a moment to silently confess sin. And our opportunity in communion is to remember how valuable we are. And that we take the body and blood of Christ as a gift. And you don't do anything. We literally place it in your hand. All you bring is your inadequacy to the table. And you're reminded of your value and worth. So take a moment now and silently confess sin. And we'll confess sin corporately together.